and welcome to Portraits of Clongos, a podcast series that takes you on a journey into the lives of former pupils of Clongos Wood College. My name is Rossa McDermott, and in this podcast series, we will speak with alumni from Clongos to hear their first-hand accounts of the transformative impact this school has had on their lives. Today on Portraits of Clongos, we're joined by David Haggerty, a former captain of the school in 1949, and hails from Castletown Bear. David, I'd like to welcome you to Portraits of Clongos. Thank you. What do you remember of Clongos and how different maybe was it in those days? It probably a lot didn't change in Clongos probably for many, many years. But the new building, as they call it, had been finished in 1929. Aidan McCarthy was one of the pupils there before me. Anyway... We were 350 kilometres from Clongos and it used to take us two days to get there. I remember being cold because during the war years, I was there in 43 to 49, mm. during the war years, fuel was scarce. Food was plentiful, but very plain, all supplied by their own farm. All right, the farm were being fully functional. Fully days, functional. Yeah. As a matter of fact, even some days there was a, a farm strike of the labourers and uh, first elements, which was the, my first year, we were allotted to go out and pick potatoes <laughs> for, for a free day, a day off school. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I went up through the ranks. I formed several friends at that stage and several of them uh, were my friends up till recent years, shall mm. we say, they all died before me. Yeah. I happen to be 93 at the moment. <laughs> well done. No mean feat. So anyway, um, nothing much happened in Castletown except an odd, a bomber or two crashed in the mountains behind us. And my brother and I, being curious individuals, used to go up in the midst of the, the wreckage of the bombs and mm. they bring home strings of cannon shells, etc. However, Aidan McCarthy was one of a large, strong merchant family in the town. They lived a hundred yards from us. And I used to see him in my young days, seeing him winning swimming races Mm. by a street. When he was at UCD qualifying as a doctor, he was only beaten by a touch by the British Olympic champion Mm. in a swimming race. Yeah. This stood to him in later life. He had been taken prisoner of war in Java and um, was in the water swimming for 24 hours, helping all his other classmates who had been in the water as well, our uh, prisoner of war mates. They had been torpedoed by an American submarine. They were in a, Aidan was in a prisoner of war uh, ship going to Japan. Anyway, uh, he was in Japan for practically four and a half, five years. And... uh, over that time, he became, I suppose, the senior officer in the uh, camp. The camp, yeah. And uh, one day he he noticed one of the American bombers who were becoming closer and closer to Japan at that stage towards the end of the war, heading towards 1945. And uh, the prisoners had been allowed drop uh, dig an air raid shelter for themselves. And he was sitting on the edge of the hole in the ground, which was their air raid shelter. And he saw two bombers coming over them, American planes. So he said to one of his mates, let's go down into the shelter. 
and he went down into the shelter. And a few minutes later, he said the world came to an end. My God. The world turned black. And this was an atomic bomb had been dropped on the city of Nagasaki, which was adjacent to the camp. And he said he was in there for ages. Eventually, they stuck their heads above the surface and Nagasaki city was no more. Gone. There was nothing left. He then set about his doctoring business of helping all the local Japanese Mm. and anybody that was still alive. And he doctored them friend or foe. He and a few of his mates went up into a cave in the hill and they continued doing their doctoring Mm. on people who were with the flesh hanging off them after the bomb. And you met Aidan when he came back, when you were 15. I, this was what had happened to him. He was released. They were scheduled, all the all the prisoners, and he was one of the British prisoners. So I think there were a small number, less than 100 in his camp at this stage, prisoners of war still. They were scheduled to be executed by the order of the Emperor of Japan on August the 23rd, 1945. Mm. They had to dig a pit for themselves and they noticed the Japanese guards, still the remnant of the guards, Mm. erecting a platform at the side of the pit. And this was to mount a machine gun to kill them all in the pit. And the American bomber dropped the bomb five days before they were due to be executed. Anyway, that was the end of August 1945. He arrived home in probably late November Mm. And I was home on holidays from Clongos for Christmas holidays. And I asked the family, would he talk to me? And because I was an ex-Clongos boy, he said yes. I called to him and he brought me upstairs and sat in their dining room. And for an hour and a half, he told me all what had happened to him. And what I've recounted now is only a fraction of his horror stories. Anyway, um, he put in my hand the samurai sword which the commandant of the camp had given him as the senior officer about two months previously. Wow. And all I can say is I was gobsmacked. Mm. That was certainly a memorable day. Okay. A memorable day. My next move on to, I'm, I'm recounting this a bit haphazard. No but worries, but you were captain of the school. I was captain of the school. What honours What honours came with that in those days? Oh, privileges. Yes, yes. <laughs> then I begin to recount. At that time in 1945, the war was just over. Yeah. And the American government, TWA, and the New York Herald Tribune had organised to take a boy and a girl from schools mm. in Europe from each of the Marshall Plan countries, 17 countries, and bring them to America for three months to tour America. Amazing. And I, be captain of the school, I was sent up as the candidate for interview. So we were interviewed in various things. I I was friends with some of the candidates from other schools Mm. at a later stage. Anyway... At the heel of the hunt, I was selected by what I can only call a star committee of about six or seven or eight people sitting behind the desk. Yeah. And you were sitting on a chair in the middle of the room being questioned. <laughs> and I was selected. Why? Yeah. 
I don't really know. I told them funny stories, <laughs> so that's all I can say, yeah. and made them laugh. Anyway. And that entitled you to go to we the States? We've been flown off to the States mm. and spent three months going from coast to coast. In 1940? 1940, 1949, And uh, we met the president. We were in the White House in, mm. the, in the Oval Office. Wow. Uh, awarded various things and so on and were fated in various places mm. we went as well. Mm. It's difficult. That's a long time ago. It's going on 75 years yeah. ago now. Yeah. Anyway, that was, I came, came back to Ireland and got a job, fortunately, with a chemical company. Mm. I had studied science and had a long, shall we say, pretty ordinary life at that stage. Nothing strange happened. Mm. I'll just tell you what happened to me one day in technical service, and this is quite true, where I escaped death three times in the one day. Wow. <laughs> we, amongst the items we sold was a catalyst for fiber dust mm. and we had given the customer specific instructions how to use it and I was to attend their works at two o'clock in the day. Mm. I arrived at the duly appointed time and knocked on the door and the foreman opened the door, said nothing but told me come in. Come in. And when I was inside he pointed to the wreckage of the machine which they were using to spray fiberglass and the holes in the roof. And this was, they had not followed the instructions and the machine blew up and put several people in a hospital. And you escaped. And I would have been standing right beside that machine even when the test was being done. So I was okay. That was lunchtime. <laughs> that evening, I was to attend a function in Dorky. Mm. And I was checking in the Queen's Hotel in Dorky for some of my mates if they were inside. It was a bad night, wet, raining. I came out and was get, getting into my car, mm. holding open the door, and there was a loud bang and the door vanished out of my <laughs> hand. A hit-and-run driver had taken the door clean off, off the car hand. and missed my hand. Anyway, we got the number of the car from a bystander and we located the car down at the function. In Bullock Hotel and Dog. Mm, yeah. The hit and run driver wouldn't uh, respond to a call for him to come out. Mm. So I immo immobilized the car. Mm. I was a, shall we say, a, a mechanic. <laughs> and I, I immobilized the car. Mm. And the next day, a very crestfallen driver arrived at my house, having been directed there by the police. Mm. Anyway, that was the evening time. Mm. I was going home after that function in Dorky, and I arrived down along Mesville Road near Backett Street Bridge or Humpback Bridge and the lights, it was two o'clock in the morning mm. and the lights were green for me. Yeah. But I said, don't believe the lights at two in the morning. morning. So I stopped and as I stopped there over the bridge, going like the wind, came a car right through the lights and I would have been in the middle of the crossing. 
So that was three times in the one day. The longest day that was. <laughs> so that was a day you would remember. Yeah. Is there something about people from Castle Dublin <laughs> in the water, is it? But well, you moved from there to Dublin, didn't you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, I qualified in UCD. Yeah, I did science in yeah. UCD. I suppose the next uh, memorable day would be how I met my wife, mm. which is remarkable in its own way. Forty years ago, when it was more leisurely time, we paraded up and down Grafton Street, admiring everything in view. <laughs> and I used to see on the far side of the street regularly this strikingly good-looking woman who was an icon of fashion, is all I can say. Mm. Anyway, this went on for a year and I didn't know who she was. Mm. But one day I wandered into the Bank of Ireland <laughs> art exhibition and lo and behold, who was running the exhibition mm. but my icon of fashion. <laughs> Never failing, I was not going to miss an opportunity. Mm. So I asked her out to dinner and miraculously, she said yes. Mm. It's a charm. It's a and charm. then started a 40-year romance with my wife. Well done. Who died recently. Very sorry to hear that. Yeah. So, shall we say, I've had a most wonderful life, mm. but I wouldn't start again. You would not. Well, you're, what, 93 now? You've got a fair if, innings. You've yes, achieved I have, a lot, yeah. done a lot. Yeah. And I've enjoyed my life thoroughly. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think you could repeat the various things that have happened to me. No, I don't think any of us would want to as well. Yeah, We're all yeah. the same. Things yeah. happen, good, bad yeah, or indifferent. Yeah. You don't want to go back over again. Yeah. You'd like to think the good things you'd yeah. like to do again, but maybe you wouldn't. And when you went there from Castletown, Burn, the two days, so it was the train, what, uh, up, yes. then to Salins. You heard you overnight? Oh, well, we, my father would drive me, or drive or the two of us, to Kinmare, where we stayed with my aunt, right. who uh, lived in Kinmare. Mm. Uh, she was one of the O'Brien Corkeries, who were right. strong merchants in Kinmare. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we used to stay with her and catch the train to Salins then. Yeah. And they get picked up in Salins. We, yes, they would send a car for us. Yeah. Because we were probably the last arriving. <laughs> And what breaks, the terms then were much longer, weren't they? You didn't go home every weekend, obviously. No, no, there was nothing like that. Yeah. You went home at Christmas and at Easter and in the summer. Mm. And the place was cold and damp. And no, it wasn't damp. It was cold. cold yeah. And we used to sit on the central heating pipes to heat our bombs. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, what else do you remember? The food was... Food was excellent, yes. but very plain. Yeah. Beef. Even during those, well, you just after the war, there was still plenty of food Oh, yes, the there was. Rationing per persisted here. Anybody yeah, yeah. of my age will remember. Rationing persisted in Ireland for several years after, after the yeah, war. Yeah, But when you're at Clongos, there wasn't the feeling of... Oh, no, you were never deprived of food. Mm. We were well fed, but played. Yeah. And went through all the normal... And those days was a mass every day, David? Yes, there was mass every morning. And it was segregated. The chapel would be segregated into the seniors, the juniors, and, yeah. and the middle and the juniors. Yeah. And in those days, uh, being in elements, you were really down the you total You started, ball. you were in first year. Yeah, you were really down the total ball, weren't you? Sev several of the classmates, I have pictures of, of them still 
Mm. And uh, several of them uh, have only died in recent times. Prominent people here in Ireland, I suppose, in the last 20 years, mm. they were all noted surgeons and doctors and lawyers. Yeah. And when you were in the States that time, you met a few celebrities, didn't you? You met a few names, didn't you? Actors and actresses, didn't you, in your trip to the States? Well, in the trip to the States, I was in Hollywood. And one of the prominent ones I remember is Tony Curtis. Wow. And he was lying on the ground under his sports car with <laughs> with uh, oil all over his face. Yeah. He had been repairing something on his car. <laughs> and there was Shelley Winters and uh, Marsha Hunt and a few more. But we, wherever we went, we were sort of put on show and on stage. Yeah. Amazing, because that was just after war. How was you know, America in those days? Very much, uh, shall we say, the jitterbug was coming yeah. in. The modern, the modern idioms and so on, mm. supermats. I mean, the, the equivalent of our supermarkets now. Yeah, that's were, already. In those days, mm. they were amazing because I used to marvel at them. I said they would be robbed blind if they were in Ireland. Yeah, and was, everything was plentiful, wasn't it, compared to what you'd grown yes. up here? Yes, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything, I mean, Times Square was amazing, the lights, etc. Mm. Radio City, Music Hall, mm. all the sorts, they were that, all of those. Yeah, and when you met Aidan uh, in person that time, you were 15, you were saying he weighed six stone? At that stage, he'd come home from Japan mm. and he was down to about six and a half stone. And he had played wing forward for Ireland, for, not for Ireland, for Munster, Munster. in those days mm. in the new CD. And he was a, a shadow of himself, shall yeah. we say. And he'd also been in Dunkirk, hadn't he? He had been in Dunkirk. And as he said, several of the men were shot by British troops off the beaches, people who were envious of those escaping. Wow, and they shot them. And they shot, they fired it into the crowd. My God. And when you were talking to him, was the whole relevance of his story as a 15-year-old, you, you could fully understand it? I was mesmerised no, mesmerized. by what he was telling me mm. because it was very foreign mm. to the sort of quiet life we had yeah. uh, in Castletown Bear. Yeah. Although, I suppose... The, the war did tinge us at that stage mm. with our bombers crashed in the mountains nearby and it sparked off my interest in um, chemistry because I then began making uh, we call them exotic fireworks <laughs> <laughs> myself yeah. uh, and caused chaos in uh, fair days in the town by setting off uh, explosions <laughs> and frightening every cow out of the town. <laughs> and that's you went on to study was I studied in UCD. Yeah. Uh, studied chemistry. Mm. Uh, I wanted to be an engineer because I really was interested in cars, etc. Mm. And uh, while you won't see them on this podcast, yeah. here is an example of the car that I built. That's right, you built your own car. That's my own car. From scratch. Fabulous. It was a cog of the Le Mans, 19, 30, 1940. And there's a story attached to the car as well. It kind of had a life of its own, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, it did, yes. I eventually sold it to um, a chap who was more interested in cars than knowing about them. 
Mm. And he sold it on. And about 10 years after selling it, a fellow came up to me on Bagot Street Bridge and said, do you want to buy your car back? Well, he knew who you were. <laughs> well, everybody yeah. in, the, in the motor racing yeah. business. Yeah. This was a sports racing car. Yeah. Everybody in that business knew each other. Mm. So I thought about it for about 10 minutes and I said, no, you <laughs> can't live your life again. Again. And you did race, David, did you? Oh, I did, yes, yeah. in the Phoenix Park. Yeah. Yeah, that's where all the... Yeah. yeah, that was in the in the paddock of uh, inspections for, for the race, yeah. open boot pool. Wow. That was in during the race. Yeah. And you race abroad, no? Just all no, no, just, yeah. I couldn't afford, really, <laughs> to have my pride and joy that had taken me five years to build, build. To, to be smashed up. And I mean, I had close ones in, in the various days. And that was, you couldn't race all the time because you had to protect your car as well. Didn't I, you? I didn't want to, yeah. to wreck my car. Yeah. I used it for social purposes <laughs> with great success. Very successful, was it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it was eventually sold to a journalist in Dublin who contacted me many years later mm. to ask me about the car. And... Uh, Nobody had built a car to that specification in Ireland well, ever. before me. Well. They had built what we would call mud pluggers. Yeah. But nobody had built a sleek yeah. cog of the 1945 Maserati Le Mans car. Yeah. And that was there. Well, that was perfect showroom. Where did you get the love for cars? Engineering, was it? Yeah, I suppose so. My dad was keen on cars. Oh. And he could never pass a, bro a broken down motorist on the road without helping. going to help. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the car was sold on to this journalist. He stored it in a yard out on the Long Mile Road in Dublin and was told by the developer, the owner of the yard, to remove it because he was the owner was developing the yard mm. for building. And the journalist was shall we say, slow to react. What? And when he went out to collect the car... It was gone. The car was gone. It had been sent to the dump. Oh, my And God. it was crushed. And so it had a Viking funeral. <laughs> That's the sad end to yeah. a lovely story. So there were several of the colourful incidents in my life. Yeah. And when you remember the Clongos, because you went to Peter Kenny days, didn't you? You you went to regular events over the years, didn't you? The Father Kenny Day. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, and they were finding myself with decreasing numbers of mm. acquaintances as the years went by. Yeah. And you would go this year and next year, they would be missing. Mm. They had died in the meantime. Mm. But... Uh, I suppose uh, I stopped going for lack of of knowing anybody yeah. at the venue mm. amidst the the hubbub of celebrations of the current crop yeah. of students. Mm. When you remember your first day there, your early days there, what image do you still remember? Is there a picture in your mind of what the place like? Was it the Avenue or the 929 building? Is there anything outstanding? That yeah, with the castle, you arrived outside the door of the castle. And that was imposing in. in its own way. Right. And behind that, the 1929 building had been to modern and excellent standard. But uh, just that everything was 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 uh, strange to you. 
mm. coming from a small town. Is your brother older or younger? My, he was older. So he, he, was, he was there already, he? was he? two years right. older than me, or nearly two years. And I had more or less learnt the ropes from him. But you'd never way. been there until you went? No. No. But I'd obviously heard about it from my brother, mm. and that not been there. The Jesuits, I must say, were great. I'm so glad I went to the Jesuits. Mm. They were fine men, a few awkward individuals, <laughs> shall we say, a few strange men, mm. but all in all were very fine men, and I admired them greatly mm. uh, and had ma many friends, shall we say. Mm. And was corporal punishment was an issue in those days? Yes, it was, yeah. Was it very severe? Do you it was quite severe, mm. quite severe. Fortunately, I I behaved myself <laughs> to a great extent. Because of it or due to it? <laughs> well, no, just anyway, I suppose I was that way inclined. You learned there at the school, the rules were to be obeyed. Mm. And you learned also certain qualities of honour. And truth. Mm. And, and they're the things you'd they're say. They're the things I took from there. Yeah. And I suppose to this day, my friends who have died off in recent times, all of those had much the same qualities. I suppose it's an interesting, as, aside from this, as technical service manager in Dublin, I was allotted to show around an English scientists, I suppose, as well, to some of our customers who were testing out some of our products. And as we were returning from showing him this particular customer and the success of the test, he said to me, do you mind me asking you, did you go to Belvedere? <laughs> and I said, no. I said, but I went to the sister college, Clongo's. Well, he said, I could tell, he says, and he'd never met me before. Wow. The manager of our local pub in this village in England has, was at Belvedere, and I could see the same characteristics in you as him, as, as him which were the Jesuit tradition. Amazing. And I found that remarkable. Is remarkable. I mean, that, that is a, the whole point of this podcast, David, is that those commonalities that go yeah. across their education, which Came is out, yes. remarkable. Remarkable. And is there any music that you associate with Clongos in your mind? I was in the choir, is about <laughs> the best I could say. <laughs> you were there successfully or just there? Well, I, I suppose I was there. Matter of fact, it was interesting. The choir master was Father Lawton. Oh, no. A brother of, or, a, or some relation mm. of the Father Lawton, who does a lot of sacred music at yeah. currently and yeah. in recent years. Yeah. So you, you didn't start. You weren't a star performer, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I was a member of the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> the crowd scene. And we allowed wirelesses or radios in the dorms. They probably didn't. No. 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 So it's nothing, not a sign, nothing like so there's no that. music no. blaring in the background. No. Nothing, nothing like that. Uh, matter of fact, you wouldn't um, really be going, leaving the school mm. during the, the term, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. And were you, was your family a Klongo's family or is there tradition? No, but uh, 
their uh, father Frank Brown, the photographer, mm. was a Hegarty. Was he? And he was a, I suppose, a, se a second cousin of mine. Mm. And when my my father, Lord Emerson, was ill, he used to come around to visit us. Mm. And Father Brown had been through the wars in Europe at the First World War mm. and was noted. And Earl Alexander, the British general from Egypt campaign, said Father Brown was the bravest man he ever met. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we have lots of photographs taken by Father Brown in those days. Mm. And you reckon that was an influence on... It would have been, it would mm. have been. And uh, I suppose not, not an influence, but one of our distant relatives, not to that distance, would have been probably 30 or 40 years earlier, mm. had been killed playing gravel football in Longos. God, seriously. <laughs> He'd obviously fallen or yeah. been kicked or something. Yeah. And um, if I was to ask you uh, in a phrase to sum up what Clongos and your time there meant to you, David, what would come to mind? I was very proud to have been at Clongos and it has stood to me over the years mm. in the sense that when you said you were had been at Clongos, people looked at you mm. second time. Mm. And people in my time found that people hadn't really heard of the place, but they obviously... In your time, people were aware of where Clongos was and is. Well, it it was a noted school amongst mm. the time. It was a premier school. Mm. And uh, I think that throughout the country it would have been noted as one of the premier schools in mm. the country. Yeah. So you look back on your time there yeah, with pride. Yeah. So I, I, I must say one must be very grateful to one's parents mm. that sent you there. Because not many people got that opportunity. Yeah. And your memory of uh, Aidan McCarthy is still very much oh, well, top you, of mind. You couldn't, you couldn't forget when he put the samurai mm. sword in your hand that a Japanese commandant had given him as a senior officer because he actually saved the life of that senior officer. All the prisoners wanted to kill him. And Aidan locked him in an office and said, no, we'll, he'll go for a trial in the, in the courts. And it saved his life. So it turned out that years later, some of Aidan's um, aunts went out to Japan and met the children of that commandant out in Japan. There was a, a film made of this already a very badly made film, mm. I must say, as well. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that <laughs> to journalists, mm. but it was very badly made. Mm. But uh, I've seen it and uh, we had been, my wife and I had been guests at the Japanese embassy to see a showing mm. of it. David Hegarty, it's been a pleasure to talk to the portrait of Clongos. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.